This is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. We're broadcasting from the Minnesota Capitol today as the legislature enters the final days of the 2023 session. As noted after last year's election, this year's legislature is one of the most diverse Minnesota has ever seen. And because of all the retirements last year, there's been a big generational change among lawmakers this year as well. Before the session started, NPR's Angela Davis talked to some of the first black women coming into the state Senate. And today, now that the session is nearly over, we have two of those senators back with us to talk about how their first session went. Zainab Mohammed is a DFLer who represents part of South Minneapolis. And Claire Umu Verbaten is a DFLer who represents part of St. Paul, Roseville, Lauderdale, and Falcon Heights. Senators, thanks so much for coming back on NPR News. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. It's been uh, just about five months, just about a full session. How are you feeling about what you've been able to do this session? Senator uh, Muhammad? let me start with you. I am feeling really excited about the work that we have been able to do thus far. And I'm feeling more energized now that it's the end of session to finish off really strong and uh, show Minnesotans the work that's been done over the last few months. And Senator Umu Verbaten, how do you feel about it? I'm just amazed and overjoyed. There's been so many moments um, here where I felt just so proud to be a Minnesotan, not just like a legislator. Um, When we passed the PRO Act, when we restored the vote, when we banned conversion therapy and passed trans refuge and and when all those folks are in the Capitol with us and cheering us on and they've been leading these fights for years um, and it just means so much to deliver for folks. So I'm so happy. Other than that um, happiness and that pride, has there been anything about the job that surprised you? Um, that surprised me. I mean, I think that, you know, we go in sort of thinking there's going to be this like battle between Republicans and Democrats, and there's definitely some of that. But I think we we actually forge a lot of friendships um, across the aisle. We sit with these folks in committee, we get to know them, we ask about each other's lives and um, can start to build some friendships. Um Within bodies, you do hear a lot about how, like, well, we're in the Senate, so we don't talk to those folks in the House, Uh right? Um, So maybe that's the surprise, that we don't get to see some of our folks in the other body as often. Senator Muhammad, what about you? Yeah, I would say I think my answer is pretty similar. I think the relationships have surprised me. You come in with a perspective of what it is like to work here, of how to what does it mean to build a relationship across the aisle, and then also with your members who you don't always have um, the same exact or similar views. And how do you how do you move people on the issues that are that matter to you most? And how do you get them to see your perspective and then your lived experience when they've never had that? Um, I've personally have been able to build really amazing relationships with some the Republican members across the aisle. We don't always vote the same, but we've had some really critical and hard conversations. I think Senator Housley is one of those. Her and I serve on most of my committees together, three committees, and um, we have really tough conversations that I think we've almost become just girls at this point. Um, And so it's like something you don't, I didn't expect to have coming from South Minneapolis, being a progressive member um, within the party. You come in and then you build amazing relationships with these members who, you know, you know, you're not going to always agree. um, But it matters to Minnesotans to know, even if you don't ideologically agree, um, you can get things done and still have respectful relationships. Mm -hmm. And Senator Mohammed, let me ask you about an issue that Mm -hmm. you were uh, really involved with, and that was driver's licenses for everybody, regardless of their immigration status. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Why was that important to you, and why is that important for Minnesota? Yeah, well, a number of reasons. For me, I heard about it on the doors. When I was knocking doors uh, during the election, I heard about it. Folks have talked about the fact that this has been an issue that's been around for over 20 years. Um, I'm an immigrant, so on a personal level, this issue spoke to me. To me, I'm like, I have a fundamental belief that whether somebody is documented or not, they deserve rights and that we should be able to to treat people the same. And then for Minnesotans who've been living here forever, it's simply about safety. It's about making sure that the folks who are driving on our roads do have um, the necessary skills that they need in order for all of us to be safe. Um, and so that was important to me. I heard about it on the campaign trend, uh, train um, and it was something that everybody agreed with me across the board on why it mattered across the aisle. Folks who were Republicans said, we agree with you. It's about the safety of our roads. It's about the economy. And then it simply came back to politics very often. And I knew in the beginning I was from day one going to push for. I think Claire knows. And I walked in, everyone said, what do you want to work on? And I said, driver's license. This is the first thing I want to get done. And I'm really, really proud of the work that went in. And, you know, outside of the legislature, it is a bipartisan issue. The chamber supported it and the the Minnesota Peace and Police Association supported it. Um, So it's bipartisan everywhere except here in the legislature. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't get Republican votes for that. So what happened? Why do you think they didn't vote for it? I think it came down to politics, ultimately. Uh, Truly, I think that they, I think that uh, the the floor debate, which went for a while through the middle of the night in the midst of a storm, when you have folks from greater Minnesota at the legislature waiting for us to get this done. Um, And I kept speaking to the issue, why it was important to Minnesotans, why it was good for business, why it was good for workers. It just simply came down to politics. And, you know, they chose to not vote for it. I made the case and I made it really well from the beginning. I think Senator Champion has made a really good case. All of our caucus did. Um, And ultimately, they agreed with why we should do it. They chose not to do it. Hmm. And uh, Senator Claire uh, Umu Verbaten, I know that you worked really hard on the public safety bill. Mm -hmm. Why was that important to you and what parts of that bill in particular did you think were important to do for Minnesota? Yeah, well, I always um, share that I ran for office to advance racial justice, to build a community that's safe for all of us. That sort of a guiding light for me is um, in the district that I represent – Philando Castile was shot and killed by the police six years ago in Falcon Heights, and I never want to see that happen again, and I want to make sure that um, we are building trust between law enforcement and the communities that we serve. So I think there's a lot of good policy in there and funding in there to support that work. Um, I, Chief, authored the bill to severely limit no-knock warrants, which is how Amir Locke was um, was killed. And we brought everyone to the table. We had law enforcement there. We had folks who've executed these talk about that and how they're really dangerous for law enforcement and um, and the folks that, you know, those are being executed on. And I think we found a really good um, path forward. I'm really proud of that specific provision in that bill. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, it's $880 million in there lots of funds for BCA to look at violent crime. Um, There's such amazing funding for folks doing youth intervention that we know really pays off in the long run. Um, I just, I think the bill is transformational and I just, I've had 
the best time serving as vice chair there and thank um, Chair Lotz for really allowing me to lead and step up and chair the committee and um, be a part of crafting this entire bill from uh, the committee work to conference committee um, in, until we you know passed on the floor. So you mentioned uh, Senator Ron Latz, mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask both of you, and I'll start with you. Um, have you had specific mentors or people in the Senate who have helped you out this year? And I assume Ron Latz yeah, is one of them. Absolutely, um, he's been uh, just amazing to work with um, on the Judiciary and Public Safety Committee, and just um, I think brought me in from day one as a partner. Um, I think our leader is amazing, um, Leader Dietzik, and we're so uh, lucky to have her. And she works so hard. And though she, you know, couldn't be here, um, you know, at times due to her diagnosis, she was working um, throughout all of that, taking our calls, solving problems for us. Um, she's just been amazing. Our president champion. Um, we're just like if you see us out on the floor, taking every opportunity, just like run up to him and give him a hug and. Um, he's always there for us to answer our questions and and help us out. So we have a lot of mentors and and certainly folks who are in our class and the classes before us too. Senator Muhammad, what about you? Yeah, I think a lot of the members have been really helpful to um, those of us who are freshmen. For me, particularly, I'd say Senator Dietzik, Leader Dietzik, has been an incredible one. I think from the beginning when I walked in, we were the only woman from Minneapolis. And so right away I was like, <laughs> we're the only two women um, from our city. And so um, we are really privileged to have her as our leader. And I think it's clear to Minnesotans how much she's kept us together. And I think that speaks to the volume of the work that she is, that she is doing just from a policy level, but the relationships she's been able to build with, uh, for all of us across the board. Um, I would say Senator Champion has been a good one for me. Um, I walked in, he was the lead author on driver's licenses and I said, I want it. And he was like, okay. And, um, he, I learned how to legislate from him. How do, how do you craft the bill? How do you present a bill? How do you present in committee, how do you build relationships for it? How do you build a coalition? Um, and I think that, you know, I serve on the Jobs and Economic Development Committee as his vice chair and um, just had this incredible relationship. And I've learned so much from him. And he's often, when I get in my head, telling me, you need to get out of your head. You're really smart and you can do this. And it's just really nice to have somebody who who gets you and who empowers you and wants you to do well. And um, we've had members who've been here for a long time and they've really all stepped up and helped those of us who are new. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the other day uh, that since this session started, it's gone so fast and there's been so much that's passed. Is there anything that you had as a priority, Senator Muhammad, I'll stick with you, when the year started that didn't get done? That did not get done did from the beginning right. so far. Um, wow, that's a really good question. I can't believe I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about it. Um, I would say, you know, I think housing was a priority for me. I'm a renter. I ran on being a renter. I ran on the fact that, you know, rent is going up and folks can't keep up with it, especially when it comes to inflation being at play. Um, and my biggest priority when it came to that committee was the bring it home bill. And that bill costed $2 billion to fully fund it because there's about 172,000 Minnesotans who currently are eligible to receive Section 8 vouchers but aren't able to. And I wanted to make sure that those families were taken care of. We got the bill done. We didn't get everything we wanted. We didn't get the full $2 billion. But we were able to you know, pass the sales tax, which 25% of that is going to go to the bring it home bill. And 
um, we were able to pass extra $50 million for it and then $20 million ongoing. And so we, did, we I think, uh, set the foundation for the bill, but it's not fully done. And I think it's going to be work that I'm going to be finishing, hopefully, the next biennium and as we continue to do this work. Hmm. Senator Umuver Baton, anything you didn't get done that you really wanted to this year? Um, there's so much we got done that I'm like just overjoyed with, but um, there's always more to do. And um, you know, Senator Muhammad talked about housing. I think there's going to continue to need to be work there to pr- uh, protect our um, tenants that I'll be looking at next year. I also um, really want to continue work on cash bail. And one of the things we funded in the Judiciary and Public Safety Bill is a study um, to look at that. And it's going to give us some really helpful information as we go into this policy year to figure out how we approach that um, correctly. Let me ask you, as we get into these final days, do you get really sick of these long, long debates? I mean, they're they're long, um, and I I don't get sick of you know having to answer questions about bills and make sure we're crafting good policy. Um, I I think you know there's a difference between sort of that genuine ask and when folks are just sort of trying to extend time. Um, but I also want to be clear that like, no matter how long it takes, I will be here. I'm committed to getting this work done for my district and for Minnesota. So many of these things people have waited decades for, and I have no problem staying up till mm-hmm. three, four, six a.m. to deliver for folks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not tired of the long nights because I think the work is is really important and I'm committed to getting the work done um, I think Minnesotans sent us here because they were tired of a gridlock. We've had these long debates, long sessions for years, a decade for now, and we haven't gotten anything done. And the work that we've been doing this session has been the backlog of those long debates that at the end we got nothing done. Um, and so I think we're all committed to getting the work done. And I think that Minnesotans want us to get the work done. And I hope that these long debates, which are important because we want to hear every perspective. We want to hear from folks from across the aisle and we want to hear from folks from um, our own party. Ultimately, the goal is to get the bills done. And I hope that it doesn't stop us. And I don't think it will. I think Senate Democrats are certainly committed in sitting here through the long nights. The other day we were here until 6 a.m. And um, it was a long night. Uh, But when it's 6 a.m. and the bill passes, what matters is the people that are going to benefit. And so if it means I'll stay here for 24 hours to get that work done for folks to benefit for the next however long that they need, I'm going to get that work done. I know that uh, we asked you this question before the session started, but I want to ask you again, what difference has it made to have black women in the Minnesota Senate and, and young black women in the Minnesota Senate? Oh, wow. Um, I think there's like an immediate culture shift when we're here. Um, And, you know, our voices are really important, but there's there's a whole host of voices that are here for the first time. You know, Senator um, Erin McQuaid, um, another fellow black woman in the Senate, like me, is a queer black woman in the Senate. That really matters. Scott was alone and being the only openly LGBTQ member there. Now there's three of us. Got Dibble. Uh, Yes, Senator Dibble. Um, But, you know, I think we talk about things from our lived experience and all the different identities that we hold, Um, just how we, you know, do this work. There's a lot of working moms here who 
are sort of balancing all those priorities and trying to make this a better place for, you know, people who have families. Um, and then the, the policies that we lead. It's Senator Muhammad talked about driver's licenses for all. Like, that's personal to her. Um, that's that's about our families. And I talk all the time about, you know, my mom as an immigrant and wanting to do right by her and that she's going to um, benefit from this legislation. So I just, I, don't, I mean, it's so, I think it's so personal to us. Um, and we feel that, um, you know, as a, as a caucus, as we're, we're working through this. Senator Muhammad, what do you think? You know, I mean, I think that there, there certainly is a culture shift and you can feel that in the air. But we're young. Um, I think that, 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 that plays a huge role. We're young. And I think part of that is when I walked in and when I walked in, from the first from the first day up until I think like the second deadline, I would get so many bills, and folks are like, "You're new, and you're energized, and you got a different energy about you." And I'm a person of color, and then on top of that, I've had folks from my own district come to me who don't have a lobbyist, and who are like, I think All Square is a good example of that. They're um, an organization in my com- in my district who work with for- formerly incarcerated folks. And they're like, hey, we need help. We've never had a lobbyist. And I think that speaks to the fact that we're here and these people relate to us and our experience. And they're coming to us because they feel comfortable and they understand that they don't need a lobbyist because ultimately we're there for them and we're there for our district. Um, but I would say I think there's a culture shift. Um, there's an energy shift. Um but our caucus, um, those who have been here for a long time are also learning new things. They're often asking questions. <laughs> um, and I often say I have a lot of new moms and dads in here. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. If I could just add to, I think there's this sense of urgency we bring because, again, this is our lives. And it's like we can't wait because people are dying or people can't access housing right now. Um, they deserve the best schools. They deserve all these resources. Like we – we can't wait. Mm. Like, and and many people have waited so many years. They waited two decades, right, mm-hmm. for for driver's licenses just to be able to take their kids to school. So, I think that's what we bring. And maybe just like we're, we're getting it done. Yeah, and maybe we're new, but we don't think from the perspective of we have an election in four years. Mm-hmm. I think we have we got an opportunity that Minnesotans presented us, and they said you have the majority. We want you to get things done. Yep. And the way we're operating, at least Claire and I is. We're going to get the work done and not only the backlog, but we're going to set the foundation for the future, whether we have the majority next time or not. We're going to make sure Minnesotans feel good about sending us here. Yeah. DFL Senator Zainab Muhammad of Minneapolis and DFL Senator Claire Umo Verbaten of St. Paul, two first-term senators, two women senators, two black senators. Thank you so much for coming by. Have a great end of the session. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. This may well go down to future generations as the legislative session when Minnesota legalized marijuana. While legalization has been a DFL priority and Democrats have pushed their agenda on that and other issues over the Republican minority, there were two Republicans on the Legal Cannabis Conference Committee. One of them was from the House, Representative Nolan West of Blaine. The other one was from the Senate, Senator Jordan Rasmussen of Fergus Falls. And Representative West and Senator Rasmussen join me now to give us a Republican perspective on the marijuana issue. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. 
Uh, Senator Rasmussen, let me start with you. You and every other Republican in the Senate voted against the marijuana bill when it came up the first time a few weeks ago. Why did you want to be on the conference committee? Well, it's interesting. I'm actually the only person on the conference committee who voted against the bill. And for me, if Minnesota is going to legalize recreational marijuana, it's really important to get it right. Minnesotans' lives are on the line. And throughout the process, I had offered different amendments um, regarding public health, public safety. And so I wanted to continue to be uh, a constructive opponent of this bill and try to offer some ideas to hopefully make it make it better. Did you feel like you did that in any way? Did you have the chance and did you make it better? We did have some opportunities. I worked on some language to make sure that we'll be able to have public health studies to better understand the impact that recreational cannabis has on Minnesotans, particularly young Minnesotans. Um, And so I'm glad we'll be able to see some data. We also were able to get some money for the Office of Traffic Safety to do drug recognition training for law enforcement. Um, Overall, though, I still have concerns with the bill and uh, we'll be uh, planning on voting no when it comes to the Senate. Uh, Representative Nolan West, you voted for the bill the first time through. Um, Why did you support it? Because the war on drugs in general has been an abject failure, and you look at marijuana prohibition has been just like alcohol prohibition. It hasn't made anybody safer, and it's profited criminals. And by supporting legalization of marijuana, we can have you know individuals and citizens and good taxpayers making this money. And also, it makes the product safer. Because whenever you hear about a death related to THC, It's never the THC. It's always something else was in it, say fentanyl. That has been a huge issue lately. And if we have a legal market, things can be tested and made sure they're safe for those who want to consume. And over 50% of Minnesotans have uh, support this and have used marijuana at least once in their life. And only 36% oppose, which tells you there's a sizable amount of Republicans in Minnesota that do support this as well. Do you share any of the concerns about safety, about kids using it, about, uh, you know, drivers being impaired when when this thing is legal? Yeah, those are all very legitimate concerns. One of the best things about not being the first state, you know, I never wanted us to be the first state, is we can see how it rolled out in other states. And in states like Colorado and Washington, after legalization, teen use stayed constant within the margin of error of their research. So overall use went up, but teen use stayed the same. And we're all very concerned about that. It's actually older folks in the boomer generation that generally participate in the legal market that don't now. I mean, because any kid who wants to get this basically can get it right now. It's available. It's there. And that's one of the most important reasons to legalize because we're not stopping anything and we're only enriching criminals. And this way it'll be safer. So the drug recognition enforcement officer training money, uh, $15 million over two years, will help put quite a few more officers who are good at recognizing impaired driving on the streets because this is something that's still a problem today. For example, cough medicine can inhibit your driving ability, but we don't have a test for it. You have to do the, use this training that they're already doing. So this adds another thing there, and we've seen a lot of promising de- products developed in California they have a breathalyzer type thing for impaired driving. It's not admissible in court yet, but I expect now that we're 20-something states that that will be just around the corner. Well, uh, Senator, let me run some of that by you. Um, Representative West said, uh, you know, prohibition isn't stopping anything. Any kid who wants to get pot now can can get it. 
and this will just make the product safer and it will allow adults to use it. Do you agree with that? A few concerns I have is when we look at other states and data, and even Governor Walz's uh, Department of Public Safety have said that traffic deaths go up when you legalize recreational marijuana. And so that is a big concern that I hear from law enforcement. Uh, in addition, I think one of the underappreciated parts of this bill is actually the low potency edible uh, part of it, which, you know, we're not just going to have one or two dispensaries in towns where people who are seeking out recreational marijuana are going to be able to get it. We could see this at every convenience store, grocery store, restaurant, bar, having um, uh, more exposure to cannabis uh, and even consumers that aren't seeking it out. And so for me, um, while there might be a lot of folks who think that we should uh, legalize recreational marijuana, I just don't think this bill does a, does a good job of doing it. One example of that is that starting this summer, the penalties uh, for possession and sales will dramatically go down, even though the bill authors say we could be 18 months or more out from having actual legal licenses. And so I'm concerned around what that could mean for the illicit market coming in and not going away. And if we look at states like New York and California, even though they've legalized it, they've set up a structure that frankly just doesn't work. And so you still have a, a rampant illicit market without giving law enforcement the tools they need to go after um, illegal drug sales. And Representative West, what about that? Uh, we are agreed on that date mix-up. Mm -hmm. they, they allow possession way before the legal market's available. And Senator Rasmussen brought that amendment in conference committee, and we, and we both voted for it. It was refused. But to me, it doesn't make sense to give the black market a head start on the legal market. Uh, that, I think that's one of the deficiencies in the bill. We're agreed on that. You know, they set the tax at 10% now, and 20% of that 10% is going to go to local governments to, to – deal with this legalization. Uh, the, the thought behind keeping the tax relatively low was to fight that illicit market. Representative West, do you think that's a good idea? Do you think it'll work? Yes. It's incredible. In the states where the black market has survived without, pro without a problem, those are states with tax rates in excess of 30 percent. They tax the bejeebas out of it. It's ridiculous. So here, a 10 percent tax rate does help keep it competitive with any black market that would still exist. We have other states that are around this rate, and they have done a lot better at eliminating the black market. So keeping it low cost is incredibly important. The tax rate does that. A negative of the bill is their licensing structure. They hate big business. It's a real – that's where this left-wing ideology infects the bill. And I've been trying to fix that in conference committee, and it did get a little better. But the way the licensing scheme is structured makes it very hard to build a legitimately uh, – efficient and vertically integrated business, and that will lead to higher cost marijuana, and higher cost marijuana will lead to more black market. The tax rate kind of counteracts that, but that is one of the, it's a deficiency that got better in conference, but it's still not as good as it could be. And, and you're referring to those social equity applicants. So that, that is one of the issues, the, the social – distributing licenses based on you know, where you're from rather than the effectiveness of your business plan doesn't make any sense to me. And also they have licensing to where you can not vertically integrate if you're beyond a certain size. So if you're a small business, you can be vertically integrated. But if you're somebody who wanted to scale up, you can't. 
And that is how you get low-cost product is with larger-scale operations. Those rates were all the canopy limits on what they could sell all got increased dramatically in conference because that was a huge problem. So now there's a mezzo-business license that can have 15,000 square feet of canopy in three stores and be vertically integrated, but they're limited to that. And, th- and that is something that's going to result in a higher-cost product. So if we had a higher tax rate, this bill would definitely be in trouble for eliminating the black market. The low tax rate, I think, takes care of it, but it, it always could be better. Senator Rasmussen, you were going to say something. I think one common misconception with this bill is that legalizing recreational marijuana is going to create revenue for other purposes, and it simply won't. Um, even the bill proponents say, you know, they're not doing pot for potholes or going to be able to use this for schools. Um, really, that tax room that's coming in, I would argue, doesn't even cover some of the externalities that we'll see in public health and law enforcement. And so I think that's an important point for Minnesotans to under- understand. And as Representative West mentioned, there's going to be 16 new licenses created in this bill. This, you know, the new Office of Cannabis Management will have more than 100 um, employees in it. And that's one of the major concerns I have is this bureaucratic system. Uh, for, for most licenses, it requires you to have a peace labor agreement with a labor union. Um, it really is the DFL creating a, an industry in their likeness. And I just frankly worry it's not going to work. What about the local government money? Is it enough for local governments to deal with this? Does the bill treat local governments well? So of the tax, uh, the 10% tax, uh, 20% of it will be going to local governments uh, between cities and counties. Um, when I talk to especially uh, sheriffs, police chiefs, they're concerned that they won't be getting enough of those resources. And actually in that local aid, none of it is specifically going to law enforcement. And they're going to be the ones on the ground having to deal with enforcement of uh, Minnesota's drug laws. And so I'm concerned that it won't be enough to cover some of the local costs that um, human services, public health will have. What do you think about that, Representative West? They also the cities can collect registration fees as well, which they can renew, which are renewed annually. So there, are mo- those are the two different income streams cities get. The way I look at it, I think they will get a, they will get enough money to cover their costs and enforcement actions. But I, yeah, there will not be a financial boon for the city. It, it's the goal is to cover the costs. Mm-hmm. Um, it says the bill says I could have two pounds in my possession, two pounds of marijuana. I could grow eight plants with four flowering at one time. Um, is that the right amount? Is that too much? Is that not enough? Senator, what do you think? I think those possession limits are too high. And I've heard from the law enforcement community that they're really concerned about those possession limits being so high because it will hamper their ability to crack down on the illegal market. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, I know a lot of folks wanted those possession limits halved. And when we look at other states, we are at the higher end when it comes to those possession limits, both on your person and in your home, um, because most of the time when law enforcement catches illegal drug sales, it's not actually during the transaction. It's it's because they have individuals who have very high possession um, on them or in their home. And so I, I'm concerned those limits are too high. Representative West, what do you think? Completely agreed there. That was one of the biggest impacts I personally had on the bill. The original bill was five pounds. Right. Five pounds. And it's I'm supportive of legalization, but five it's – 448 grams, and each gram is about a joint. So 448 joints to a pound. They were suggesting over 2,000 joints that you can have in possession of your home. It's 
the only reason you'd have that is if you're distributing it in some way, which is the black, which opens the door to the black market. So that was a big concern. I got an amendment ad- adopted to bring it down to 1.5 in the House, mm-hmm. but the Senate came in with five pounds in the conference committee. So between the number of 1.5 and five pounds, it was settled on two. But the rationale that they had was four plants could theoretically amount to that much. And that's simply not the case. I don't know where they're getting those numbers. Hmm. But that's why you do need something larger than like two ounces or something Hmm. like that because that could come from more than that in plants. But at least the public possession is at two ounces in Minnesota, which is pretty high compared to other states. Colorado is one ounce, and I think one ounce is much more appropriate for public setting. The uh, counter argument I've heard from the sponsor of the bill is, well, you could have 100 cases of beer right now and there's no limit on that. So why should there be a limit on how much marijuana you could have, Senator? Well, we're not worried about trying to crack down on an illegal beer market in Minnesota. And I think it's important to understand that if that's really one of the goals of this bill, um, we should have features in the public policy that allow law enforcement to go after and actually crack down in the illicit market. And that's why I'm so concerned around lowering the penalties before we have the legal market stood up and not giving law enforcement the resources they need um, is that we could end up in a situation like Cal- uh, California or New York where it actually um, doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. So on that, yeah, it's frustrating when ideology just overtakes the bill because you could make that ideological argument, but we're talking about public policy here. This is what people have to live with. So a public policy goal that we all share is eliminating the black market. But when these other ideological goals come in here to appease special interest groups and stuff like that, these things get so messy. This bill could have been done months ago, much cleaner and understandable, but they had to stick the social equity stuff in this uh, massive possession and all these things, not for good public policy. It's for ideological ends, which is frustrating when I do agree with their overarching concept, but the way it was done could have been much better. Well, I heard a lot of Republicans in the Senate in the first round of the debate who said, why not just do the expungement part? And why do you have to do the rest of it? What do you think about that? Well, there isn't very many people, contrary to what's being portrayed, there's not a lot of people in jail because of just possession. It's almost always possession and use with a deadly weapon or a dangerous situation. Somebody was harmed. And even this bill doesn't expunge those people. Nobody wants violent people back out on the street. So just the expungement piece, I'm, I bet you that would have passed unanimously. Uh, we talked a lot about that in the House Republican Caucus. Uh, that would have gotten near unanimous support. And that would have been a good way to go. But the concept of legalization is also the right policy. Well, I just want to understand what you mean when you say if it had been just legalization. Would that have meant that anybody could sell it, anybody could get a license, anybody could have as much as they want? What what do you mean by just legalization? By just legalization, I mean they look at it in a public policy of we want to deliver an efficient market to increase public safety by eliminating the black market. And that's where you see distributing licenses based on where you're from with the social equity scores and scoring licenses and having it all concentrated in a bureaucracy. Those are the kind of things that make it inefficient and are and will not function as well. If we went at it and we set up a, the department, but we didn't do all this scoring and we allowed businesses to basically operate however efficiently as they will. So we can they can vertically integrate and build because a big issue is when somebody is investing these millions of dollars in these businesses, they expect to be able to have a big cash out at some point. 
And when you cap these businesses to where they only can get to small and medium size, well, that takes a lot of incentive away from somebody to build a really big business. And the ideology of just hating businesses and big businesses is bad is so frustrating because that's what delivers a low-cost good. And we need low-cost marijuana if we're going to eliminate the black market. Uh, what about the hemp business? There was a lot of uh, talk early on that the hemp producers uh, were worried they'd be put out of business by this. Do you think they'll be protected under this new system or, or will some of them go out of business? That was a big priority of mine going into conference committee because the bill – well, the Senate bill was much better for the hemp industry. It's worse overall but the way hemp was legalized last year was very haphazard. There was literally no regulation, no enforcement, and as we've seen, their products have varied. But one thing that that we benefited from is they demonstrated there's intoxicating THC you can buy legally today, and, well, Minnesotans have dealt with it pretty darn well. So in the bill, there's some definitions that the hemp industry isn't certain that their products will still be legal, and it gets really complicated when you're listing out different chemical compounds and what's legalized. So they have a certain way of making their product that isn't explicit in the bill. Well, it looks like this bill is soon going to be a law. So let me just wrap up by asking you, Senator, uh, is this a good thing for Minnesota or a bad thing for Minnesota? I unfortunately think it's a bad thing for Minnesota. Uh, it's It's been rushed through this session and I think it could use some more work to make sure we understand the public health and public safety impacts for Minnesotans. And if we would have started this discussion on how can we set up a legal market that mitigates public health and public safety concerns, I think we could have gotten to a bill that more Republicans would have supported. Unfortunately, this bill, in my view, is about setting up uh, an industry in the DFL's likeness, and they're really ignoring some of the concerns that law enforcement, local units of government, and the public health community have brought to them. Representative Nolan, overall a good thing or a bad thing for Minnesota? I believe overall it's a, it's a good thing. It's the right policy concept, but the way it's being executed, I am not completely confident. I'll be honest about that. But it is the right step because right now we have legal intoxicating THC on the market today that you can buy almost anywhere. So it's not even that big a change. Uh, and you already have access to an illegal product if you want to go seek it out. You can probably find it at the light rail station literally a block from here. So I think it's a lot better to move towards a market that's t tested, safer, and I imagine it'll – right now, it's not going to generate a lot of money for government and taxes and all that. But down the road, I imagine every deficit, they're going to be coming back to this tax rate and moving it up and up and up just like the cigarette tax. Well, I think uh, both the supporters and the opponents agree probably more work to be done on this next year. Yes. That's right. So – I guess we'll talk to you then. Thanks for coming by. The two Republican legislators who were on the Legal Marijuana Conference Committee at the state capitol this session, Representative Nolan West and Senator Jordan Rasmussen. You're listening to Politics Friday on NPR News. Now some of the voices we heard at the capitol this week. There are limited reasons that a person should stand and interrupt another person speaking. We are not just standing in order to be problematic or to say, I'm going to get you because you got me, so I'm going to get you. That's not the way we should behave. I want us to always be an elevated body which starts at the front to the back. No one is above being thoughtful. And even if we do something 
that should be clarified, then we should be senatorial and come back and make sure that we uh, talk about it in real time. We're going to delay the clock. We're going to do it all night long. I live down here now. I have to stay down here because I can't drive home. It's three and a half hours. I have nothing else to do. And yes, transformation is something that's important. It's part of this bill, but different meaning to different people. So I want to emphasize transformers are more than meet the eye. (laughs) All right, took a little while. The hand of God just sort of comes down and squashes you like a bug, much like a Monty Python movie where you see the giant foot come down and squash you. That's this. And it reminds me of another famous movie as I was thinking through this because we have all this time of The Princess Bride where they say, I don't think that word means what you think it means. And I think to myself, just like Taylor Swift, you're the anti-heroes. I mean, act like dancing queens and have your fun and go ahead and jump. But this is a terrible bill and members vote red. It's getting worse every day. And and every driver, uh, whether... Uh, she or he knows about what we're doing here. Uh, we are fighting for them, and we want them to be here in these kind of gatherings, and we want to make sure at the end of the day that every Uber and Lyft driver is getting compensated uh, fairly. Every time we come here is a hope because um, we see their face, they see our face, and we tell them, we need you. We need you to stand up for us because we are here fighting. Just a few more minutes, uh, we are going to vote uh, for the last time to legalize uh, cannabis here in the House chamber. And that vote will pass, as many people on both sides have said. Um, I do want to take a moment right now and talk to my friends on the other side of the aisle. I'm not telling you not to, to have concern or fear but to interrogate it a little bit before you hit your button and think about what the data actually says and what you're actually here to do and how that aligns with why you came here. And when you do that, I hope you vote green. Thank you. The clerk will take the roll on the bill. There being 73 ayes and 57 nays, the bill is passed as amended by conference and its title agreed to. Just some of the voices we heard at the Capitol this week, including the passage last night of that legal marijuana bill in the Minnesota House. Just a few days left before it's all over. Let's check in on what this legislature has done and what it still plans to do with our Capitol reporters, Brian Baxt and Dana Ferguson. Brian, you've just run in the door and are still catching your breath. Literally run in. The governor was holding a bill signing ceremony, yet the latest in a string he's held this year. This one was around the public safety bill, which includes those two gun measures, which for years had languished at the Capitol. Uh, they, They passed. And the governor was surrounded by folks who have been impacted by gun violence, including Arizona, former Arizona Congressman Gabby Gifford. She was here. Uh, and he was basically saying that these, this might not stop all shootings, but it should help cut them down at least a little bit. And this was a bill that Republicans in the legislature opposed. Democrats have been pushing for legislation like this for years. They finally passed it. Um, Dana, it seems to be popular with the public, at least in the public opinion polls. 
Yeah, the most recent polling that we've seen suggests that folks are on board with these two proposals. Um, certainly, some of the Republican and gun rights advocates here at the Capitol would suggest differently that those are not the most accurate of polls. Um, but at least watching from afar, it seemed like a really positive dynamic up at the bill signing. Maybe Brian can speak to that. Yeah. And this is one where you heard the phrase elections have consequences quite a bit because that 34 to 33 Senate, that was the margin. Mm -hmm. And it was very close in the House as well on that bill. And both sides are using the election has consequences around a range of things going on this week at the Capitol. Well, and we'll talk about some of those quickly. Um, Marijuana, as I mentioned, passed in the House last night. The Senate's going to take it up at some point today, we think, right? That's the the working plan right now. Okay, we'll see what happens there. And that would be a huge earthquake of a bill if, if and when that passes and goes to the governor for a signature. Absolutely. Minnesota would be the 23rd state with legal marijuana. It would have a grow your own feature, which most states don't have. Uh, and that would be beginning in August. You could start planting your seeds. If you have them, I guess. So... Um, <laughs> The other thing that's been happening and that's still being worked out is uh, tax increases, tax cuts with the big $17.5 billion surplus. The Republicans have said you don't need to raise taxes, yet the Democrats are going to raise some. Dana, what's the thinking there? The thinking there, at least from Democrats, is that they want to do some more spending on schools, health programs, other things, uh, roads and bridges, and they say that that requires ongoing uh, revenue from to the state to pay for those things. And so what we've seen so far is a new tax on corporations. There are some talks, and we still haven't seen a final plan on transportation around potential delivery fee of 75 or 50 cents if you get a package. Um, there's talk about a gas tax coming into play. But again, we've not seen that bill. We're not sh- sure what's going to be in it. But uh, House Majority Leader Jamie Long today said that bill could be on the floor for a vote tomorrow. So it's got to be coming out soon. Right. Not many days left. No, and nobody seems to dispute that the gas tax is going to be part of it. They, but there's been talk around maybe a couple cents and and tying it to inflation so they don't have it to have this conversation year after year. Uh, It's been a dicey one in the past. Democrats and Republicans have have been reluctant to touch that gas tax since it last went up after the bridge collapse. Mm. If you remember that Mm. way back when, almost uh, 15 years ago by now. Uh, So it's it's one of those bills that we're waiting to see. Nobody's giving us details, and it's going to spring out quickly and perhaps move right to a vote because they don't have to wait anymore. They can take these things up right as they're done. And it's one of the miracles of the conference committee, too, because there was not a gas tax increase in either of the bills that went into that committee. That's right. But this is one where I think even Republicans want to have this vote because they know it's a vote that they'll be able to lean on in the next election. Well, that's my question. Um, You know, the session's almost over. We've seen so much happen. Now there may be these tax increases, tax cuts, you know, the various mix of it at the end. Is there a sense that the Democrats have overreached? Is that even a thing? What what do you think? I mean, that's certainly what we're hearing from Republicans this week, and I anticipate we'll continue to hear it in these last, what, 72 hours of session. Uh, They have said on the floor that Democrats are overly leaning into the small majority that they have in the Senate, and they don't think that it's representative of what all of Minnesota would like to see them doing. In particular, they really take issue with raising taxes at a time when the state has 
a $17.5 billion surplus, and they feel as though not enough of that money is going back to the people. So I anticipate over the next several hours we're going to be hearing that same refrain that this is not what the people really want to see. Brian, I have a feeling we're going to be hearing that for longer than the next few hours. Absolutely. Probably the next few months, maybe even the next uh, year plus. But keep in mind, next year's a presidential year. That seems that seems to get a lot of attention, and some of these local races seem to just fall along with that, that presidential race. Uh, Democrats are trying to do one thing that they didn't do as well the last time they had. They, 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 they're trying to pass things that, that can get on the ground and out in the field quickly, like the, these education boosts, the 4% school funding boost, which is bigger in the first year than the second year. Mm-hmm. They're hoping that that will show people that this is what you're getting out of it, that the lead pipe stuff, that's what you're getting out of it. The Perhaps some quick hit road projects, that's what you're getting out of it. Uh, if, if they feel like if they can do that, it will blunt some of the blowback they're going to get from charging people for those things or not giving them as much tax relief as they might have counted on with the surplus that the legislature had. 30 seconds left. Have you ever seen a session like this where so much has been done? I'm exhausted. (laughs) I've only been here for four years, but I would agree I am exhausted and it's going to be a long last bit of it here. A long last bit of it, but only a bit. I mean, Saturday, Sunday and Monday till midnight, I guess. That's the hope. <laughs> that's that's certainly the hope, and I guess we'll see what happens. I know that Brian and Dana will be here watching it. Thank you so much for being here today, and thanks for all the great work you've done for us this session. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. That will do it for our Friday program. Matthew Alvarez is our producer. Our technical director today was Josh Savageo. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening. Have a great long last weekend of the session. We'll see you here again next week. Support comes from Envision Distinctive Eyewear, Salt, and Matsuda Trunk Show, today through Saturday. Matsuda is known as an iconic 80s brand, and Salt is for those who like simple things made well. Details at envision-optical.com. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening to the Politics Friday podcast on NPR News. If you want to catch the show live on the radio, tune in each Friday at noon. Join us for interviews with lawmakers and conversations about what's been happening at the Capitol and beyond.